Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the word of God. Give me five lamps with oil. Five lamps with oil. As you remain seated, Matthew chapter 25. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps, went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise, and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. And the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Amen. Give me five lamps with oil. Our weddings nowadays are a little bit different than the way the weddings were back then. Actually, really the whole dating and engagement and weddings and marriage process, there's some similarities, but a lot of it is different. Back in that time, that custom, Hebrew custom, and a lot of nations throughout the world, they took the pressure off of the son and daughter to get married, and they put it all on the parents. It was the parents' job to find a suitable helpmate for their kids. I heard someone over here go, huh, well, just wait, it's going to get worse. <laughs> so when their children were little, a lot of them were born into a village and they lived in that same village their whole life. They don't move from city to city like we do a lot of times here in America. And a father would go to another father and he would say, I believe your daughter would be suitable for my son. And the children would only be five, six, or seven years old. And the uh, father of the future bride would talk about the family and the dynamics there and figure out if it was suitable or not. And they would make an agreement when children were only four, five, six, seven years old, who they were going to marry in about 10 to 12 years. Now think about this. The kids that you grew up around, if that worked today, who would your parents have picked for you to be married to when you got Jesus help us? My God. <laughs> but that's the way it worked back then. Nowadays, we put the pressure on the guy and the girl to figure it out. Do you want to keep it the way things are? Or do you want to go back to the old days, church? I think we're going to keep it the way things are, all right? But yeah, they would uh, set up an agreement, and their children would know who they were going to marry throughout their life, but they kept the boys and girls separated. Only from time to time, maybe at the well or in the marketplace, could a little boy look and see, that is my future wife someday. I'm going to be married to her someday. And they would bless their futures and start talking to them about their futures and educating them on how to get married. 
And the young man turned about 17 or 18 when it was time for him to become a man and to get married, maybe sometimes 20, 21, 22, an age like that. The future groom would go to his future bride's father, his future father-in-law, and come to him and remind him about the agreement and want to know if that agreement was still there. And his future father-in-law would either decide yay or nay. Most of the time, it was a yes because they were preparing for that. And the groom would say, I go now back to my father's house, and I'm going to focus only on one thing, and that is your daughter. And I'm going to prepare myself and my house to be her husband. I'm going to prepare a place for her to come to be my wife and for her to be a mother someday. They didn't set a date at all. There was no date. There was no hard stop or any hard beginning. But that son would work as hard as he could with his father to prepare a home and to prepare himself to make that agreement happen to marry that woman. At the time when everything would be complete, again, it was never a date set. That is when he would go for his bride. What was the bride doing this entire time while her fiancé was preparing a place for her? She remained ready to get married. At any day, at any time, because back then they didn't really have cell phones. They didn't, couldn't write letters. They couldn't email. Sometimes people would just show up, and if they did, hey, welcome, come on in, join us for dinner, you know. <sighs> can say I would miss those days. But that bride, you better believe it, was always ready to get married and to be a wife and a mother. It was such a custom marriage. The whole community would celebrate it, surrounded it. It was a big deal. Everybody knew when somebody was getting married, and everybody came to the wedding. That they even had houses for who the, they called the virgins, the bridesmaids. Back then, usually spring, summer, and sometimes fall, there could have been 10 to 25 virgins set to be married and not knowing. So they would put them all in one house and they would all work and keep each other accountable to always be ready for when the bridegroom would come. And Jesus tells this story that there were 10 virgins probably living in a house, all of them set to be married. None of them knew when their future husband is coming into town. The custom was that usually the man would arrive at night to be married because nighttime is a little more romantic than the daytime. Keeping this family friendly. We'll stop right there. And once that groom had the house in order, everything was clean, everything was ready to go, he had an occupation, he was ready to go, he would say, Father, it's time. And he would say, go get your bride. And he would come to the city. Back then they didn't have street lights. They didn't have flashlights on their phone. You had to operate in the dark. And so what the bridesmaids would do, their job was to light the way for the groom to come into that city to take his bride to marry her back in his father's house. It was the job of the bridesmaids to always be ready to help each other out should their groom arrive. And Jesus uses this parable to liken it, his relationship with his church, to liken it with his people. You see, up in heaven, if the Lord was to tell us directly how it is, you and I wouldn't understand it because God's ways are above our ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts. And so from time to time, he uses things here upon this earth to communicate what heaven is like. 
And he is teaching his disciples, and we have it in the word to this day, that when he returns for us what his kingdom is really like, it is very similar to how Hebrew boys and girls got married. You see, God, the Father, told the father of this world, the devil, his plan and his agreement. All the way back in the book of Genesis, when Satan deceived the woman, God told that serpent, made an agreement that he couldn't break. Didn't matter what he thought about it. He said, you're going to crawl on your belly and you're going to eat that dust. And this woman one day is going to have a seed. And when that seed arises, it is going to bruise your head. And Jesus Christ, that promised seed arrives. And you know what he tells his followers? Now that I'm here, the prince of this world, the father of the devil is cast out and I'm coming for a bride, praise the Lord. It's the agreement that Satan can never tear up. It's the agreement that he has no hold upon because our Lord, our bridegroom, got up there on a cross. It should have been us up there on that cross. But God said, I love you so much, I don't want you to suffer. I don't want you to go to hell. But instead, I will suffer for you. I will go to hell for you because I want to marry you. I'm preparing a place for you. And I want to take you out of this world to have you for myself up in heaven. If anybody here is excited one day to join the bridegroom in heaven, can you clap your hands and shout unto the Lord saying, God, I want to be ready for it. I want to be ready for it. Come, Lord, quickly. You know why we pray for each other? Because we are like the bridesmaids back then. We're making sure, are you ready to get married? Are you ready to get married? Are you ready for Jesus? You know why we pray and we remain vigilant? Because we don't know when he's coming back. We want to be ready. We want to be ready because if you're not ready, you will miss it. And you do not want to miss it. But you need to be the type of person that wants to make it. If God said be ready, I've got to be ready. I don't want to be late. I don't want to miss the date because God has been so good to me. And his love is so strong and real. I want to be ready to meet the Lord when he comes back in the clouds. Hallelujah. Oh, I wish I knew when he was coming back. Oh, I did. It would give me something to have on my calendar to know. But the Lord knows the power in not knowing. And he knows the power and the strength that a relationship has in not knowing. You see, we put our wedding dates on the calendar. But more often than not, actually, it really never happens. Girls, you don't know when he's going to get down on one knee, pull out that ring and, and bring out that coach purse and that big bouquet of flowers and stumble over his words and drop the ring and say, will you marry me? <laughs> please say yes. Please say yes. You don't know. But maybe he starts dropping hints like, that's a nice house. You know, you're driving in the car on your date. That's a nice house. Maybe we could live there. And she goes, mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Maybe you're at church and you see a family and they just had a baby and the guy walks up and looks at the girlfriend. Oh, isn't that a sweet baby? I think you would make a good mother, you know, and wait for her to respond and drop a little bit of a hint there. God, well, the Lord has that same type of connection with his church. He gives us glimpses of what heaven is going to be like.
You know what speaking in tongues is? It's talking and praising the Lord just like an angel. When you talk in tongues, it's not you talking, but the Spirit talks. Up in heaven, do you think the Lord held the angels when they were babies and he said, yes, say God, 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 God. Say holy, 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 holy. He didn't have to teach them to talk. The Spirit of God that's in them speaks out of them in worship. And anytime you talk in tongues or you hear somebody, you're getting a glimpse of what it's going to be like up there with our bridegroom, our Messiah someday. Anytime you see somebody baptized, you're getting a glimpse of heaven. You know what's in front of the throne of God? A huge crystal sea that represents people. And I would like to think it's represent, representative of what the baptism of the Lord is going to be like. He washed us. He purified us. He made us holy and clean. That is a glimpse of heaven. That is a glimpse of heaven. Anytime somebody is healed, you're getting a glimpse of heaven. Because in heaven there is no sickness. There is no pain. And there is no sorrow. The love that we have for each other, the greetings that we give each other, the listening and the engagement and the friendships that we have here at the Life Church, it is a sign of what's going to happen in heaven. And God has given this world a glimpse through the Life Church, whether you're here present or watching us online or listening on demand, God is giving us glimpses of the wedding date that is coming. The signs are all around us, and you and I are a witness of these things that are about to come. But not only that, Jesus said, before I come and get my bride, there's going to be some problems. And I'm going to use these problems to wake my people up to be ready for my soon return. He said, look around. You're going to see a lot of false messiahs out there. You're going to hear a lot of people proclaiming who God is and what his word is, and it's false. He said, you are going to be persecuted. But he said, don't even worry about what you're going to say to those who persecute you. I will speak through you. And that's happening in our day and time. The Lord said, you will see pestilence before I return. Not just a little cough here, not just a headache or a stomach ache, but pestilence. Pandemics, epidemics, and we have come through that, praise the Lord. But that was what COVID-19 was. It was a pestilence for the world to behold, to know that Christ is coming back. Famines, thank the Lord, we don't really know much about that here in America, but other nations have. A horrible thing to experience, my God. I've heard stories, some of our sweet senior saints who went through the depression and had to go through that. But even though they went through those times, they never quit serving the Lord. And some of the greatest, most powerful days of the advancement of the Pentecostal church was during the famines here in America. Praise the Lord. God can give us revival no matter what. Amen. You'll hear about earthquakes. You'll hear about the sea and the waves roaring, the Lord said. He said, you're going to see a lot of people, their heart or their spirit is just going to fail them. And they're going to give up on life because of the fearful sights that they behold here upon this earth. He said, you'll look up in the sky and see fearful things or strange things. You know, that happened this last Wednesday night. Our youth had a campfire, big group of young people out there. We got a great youth group, by the way, here in our church, the best. And they, 
Tell you what, Pastor Caleb's leading a spiritual group right here. If you ever need prayer, get that youth group around you. They'll connect God and contact God for you. But they were out there having a good time around that campfire, fellowshipping, having fun, but it got spiritual out there. But I got a few videos from people. They took videos. There was something coming across the sky. If you didn't know what you were looking at, you would think it was UFOs. And in those videos, I can hear people saying, it's UFOs, it's aliens, it's this. And we got to looking at it and figuring it out. Yeah, it was Starlink, Elon Musk's thing just coming across the sky. <laughs> it wasn't aliens. At least we don't think it's aliens. But it doesn't matter. As the Lord's coming draws near, you're going to see more and more odd things up in the sky. Whether it's spiritual of men, planets, stars, whatever, you're going to see weird things happening in the sky. And I've been looking at the sky, and it seems like every night something that shouldn't be there is there. Something that shouldn't be moving is moving there. I am seeing it. Folks, this Bible, what it said would happen, it is happening. It is no time to play games with God, but get your head in the game and be saved. Amen. Praise God. Jesus said there would be wars and rumors of wars and nations rising against other nations. You know, I've never predicted when the Lord is coming back. I remember as a kid hearing about the Lord, 88 reasons the Lord is coming back in 1988. Somebody sold books and made a lot of money. God bless them. Maybe I should write a book. 24 reasons God's coming back in 2024 and get rich. I could. You know, if you're not careful, you can make that Bible say things it really doesn't say. But I've never wanted to peddle end-time Bible prophecy. Never wanted to do that. But I'm hearing a lot of people making a lot of predictions. But if I had to predict anything, 2033, 10 years from now, it will be 2,000 years, give or take a few years, that the Lord ascended up into heaven. Hosea prophesied that in the first day he would revive us. Second day he would raise us up. A day with the Lord is how many years? A thousand years. So 2,000 years will have come to pass and maybe 2033 might be the day that he comes back for us. My God. You know, COVID-19 was 13 years out from that. 14 if you want to be technical with it. I know S.G. Norse taught a 14-year tribulation. I don't know. Who knows, maybe all of these Bible prophecy teachers, they're all right here, 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 and here, and so put it together, and we got it, right? You think about all the things that have been happening to lead up to this. Worldwide conflicts. Anytime you read the news, I'm seeing a natural disaster. I'm seeing somebody with a false Messiah complex. I'm hearing about sickness. I'm hearing about fear, depression, and anxiety. And I look at Luke 21, and I'm like, the Lord predicted it would happen. Here we are. Right now, in our lifetime, in our generation, going on right now, there is wars and rumors of wars. I'm not trying to get political. Understand here, in, in old-time Pentecost, we didn't care who you voted for. We don't care who you vote for. Just so long as you love the Lord Jesus Christ and you put his kingdom first, you can be a part of the life church. And we don't care what you think about in the political aspects of the world. Maybe we'll debate you on Facebook. That's about it. This is a safe place and a safe platform. Thank the Lord. Because I don't want politicians telling you where to go to church. 
And so they don't want your preachers telling you who to vote for, all right? It's a great relationship, let me tell you. And I'm not political, I'm being biblical here. And Jesus said there would be wars and rumors of wars. And I'll never forget after a Wednesday night, went and picked up a pizza, sat down, was gonna watch the news and see what was going on in the earth. Turn on the news there. And the news anchor that evening is usually really snarky and, and kind of sarcastic. But I looked in that news anchor's eyes and I could see fear as they begin to talk about Russia invading Ukraine. I was like, oh my goodness, this is real. It is now. And as far as today, up to, to today, I don't know of any talks of peace in that situation at all. But they're still beating the war drums. And Zelensky is up there screaming and yelling, give me more money, give me more money. Well, whatever. And his green t-shirts, you know. And I'm wondering, my God, is this really how it's going to go down? They're going to suck the entire world into war. Is that really what is going to happen? They're not talking peace. They're talking more war. You go down to the World War I Museum, a, a fascinating exhibit. You study the history there. You know what happened there? A few Eastern... Uh, Eastern European monarchs got mad at each other, and all of a sudden, boom, everybody's at war. And devil uses mankind's carnality. When there is one fight, another fight starts breaking out. I saw this in junior high and high school. One guy would shove another guy. He would shove him back. Next thing you know, there's 25 people in a fight right there in the hallway. And that is what is going on right now. These leaders in this world, they're becoming teenage boys all over again, and they're after a fight just to be greatest, to be the ruler. And you know what's going on? It's like a big game of chess, and the prince of this world and all of the principalities and powers are up there saying, who could we use to control this world? Who could I use to possess and to control and to rule this world and take the place of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's all Satan has ever wanted to do. He has no imagination. He's never created an opportunity for himself. But he looks at what prophecy said about Messiah. And Satan says, I want to steal that from Jesus. I want to have it for myself. I've got news for the devil. You ain't taking over what God has in store for himself. You ain't taking over what this church has in store for you. But I've come to remind the devil and any demon around here that hell is your destiny. Torment is your destiny. Defeat is your destiny. And victory belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. But an ancient evil has raised up its ugly head in our time and generation. An ancient evil. On October the 7th, 2023 this year, Hamas, a militant Palestinian organization carried out terrorist attacks on the nation of Israel in their southern border. I don't want to get into it, but I'm going to get into what the Bible says. Hear the word of the Lord. The prophet Amos says, Thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions of Gaza, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment but I will send a fire upon the wall of Gaza, which shall devour its palaces, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish. Thus says the Lord. Ezekiel foresaw this future generation, Ezekiel 25. He said, thus saith the Lord God, 
because the Philistines dealt vengefully and took out vengeance with a spiteful heart to destroy because of an old hatred. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will stretch out my hands against the Philistines. Zephaniah chapter 2, he says, gather yourselves together. Let me hear the church say, gather. Gather yourselves together. O undesirable nation, before the day of the Lord, before the day of the Lord. You know what I think that is? The catching away of the church. We were the undesirable nation. Nobody hates us more. We're, not, we're the most hated religion in the world. We are the undesirable nation in the world. That is the church of the living God. And the prophet said that this undesirable nation, the church, would be gathered together before the day of the Lord. You want to know why? Because we are his bride and he's not going to beat us with the tribulation before the coming of the Lord. Amen. That's why you got to be ready. You don't want to go through it. But he said... The prophet said, have you ever wondered who God is going to judge first in the tribulation? Read about it in Zephaniah chapter 2. After the church is gathered up into heaven before the day of the Lord, the very first nation. It's not England. It's not China. It's not Africa. It's not Japan or Australia. The first nation to be judged is Gaza. The word said, Gaza will be forsaken. Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast. The word of the Lord is against you. Of Canaan and the land of the Philistines, I will destroy you, sir. There will be no inhabitants in the land. We've got to experience Acts chapter 2 in this church. We are a book of Acts church, but you know what's going on? We're becoming an Amos church. We're becoming a Zechariah church. We're becoming an Ezekiel church. This word of God is coming alive in our generation, and we are beholding it. And you know what God is doing? Through Israel and through the war that is going on there, it is a sign to the entire world that he is coming back. It's not just enough to watch. It's not just enough to behold. For the Lord said himself, what will it profit a man if he gains the entire world and loses his own soul? These things that we are seeing should not make you angry. It shouldn't make you lazy. It shouldn't make you bored. But the more war we see and famine we see, as Jesus said, look up for your redemption draws nigh. And I'm calling out to somebody. You know you're not right with the Lord. Let the signs that you see in this generation motivate you to get to the altar and get right with the Lord. Hallelujah. Bible prophecy happening in our generation as a sign that God is coming back. You know what he's looking for? Somebody who's got a light to light his return. But he said in that day and time, there are going to be people that are in the right house. There will be people that got a lamp, but they're missing one thing, and that is extra oil. What good is a car if it doesn't have fuel? What good is a car if it's not charged? I remember about 10 or 12 years ago when every preacher out there had an iPad. And I got up there with my iPad and turned it on and was ready to preach. And I saw that deadly little red square appear in my battery. I thought, oh, I better hurry. I only had 30 seconds and that thing went dead and I just had to trust the Lord. There are things in life, if it don't have its fuel, if it don't have its power, it means nothing. It's just empty. 
And the Lord has spoken to his church. You have got to have something on the inside of you that can produce a fire and a light to be ready for his return. And that is being at church. That is praying. That is fasting. That is repenting from your sin. That is living for God day in and day out. That is how you keep the light on in your soul. But if you are not not careful, you can forget about this fire. You notice Jesus doesn't say these virgins started sinning. These virgins walked out. No, he said they just forgot. And if there is anything the devil is trying to do to the church of the living God, it is making us forget about the things that matter most. It is making us forget about the things that got us into the church. It is the things that brought us that first conviction. And the Lord's distracting us. Uh, the, The devil is trying to distract us with this and that and all of the things going on. Can I tell you this? God is wanting us to see and to behold the things happening in this world. Not to distract us, but to focus us. Stick with the church. It is no time to church hop. It is no time to backslide. Come on. I feel that right there. This church is going places. And anybody who wants to go with it, I promise you, you're going to see victory. You're going to see a powerful church unlike anything here in town. Come on, somebody. Our kids program is thriving. Our youth program is thriving. Our recovery group is thriving. Our Spanish ministry is thriving. Ladies ministry, men's ministry, singles, marriage, everything. You want to be a part of it, praise the Lord. And I don't mind telling you, I know we're in a transition and I've heard horrible horror stories about transitions. Horrible things. And like, dear God, don't let that happen to us. But to my shock, all of the right numbers, including attendance, is going up in this church since February. And I thank God for that, for people that love this church, that feel good about their church, that love the people of this church, that love this beautiful campus. I was talking to a brother out in the front of the church, and he said, you know what? I come from the city, the big city. I love coming up here. He said, I feel like I'm out in the country, the beautiful trees. It's such a great place to worship and contact God. I know the trees are great. The campus is great, but there is a special anointing that is upon this mountain. And it was given to us by prophecy by our bishop that people are going to come from everywhere. And we're going to look around and say, where did you come from? And we're not even going to know where they came from. because." And you are going to see with your own eyes and through the laying on of your hands, keep your children here, keep your family here. You stick with it. You're going to be ready for the coming of the Lord here at TLC. Amen. Why don't you turn to somebody and say, we're not the dead church, we're the life church. (laughs) Speak it to them. Amen. Some of you may feel dead on the inside, but I feel like something's getting ready to happen. The dead are coming back. Hallelujah. Somebody's getting oil in their lamp this morning. 
Hallelujah. Stand with me right now. If you got a praise, let it out right now to the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's a church that's ready for the coming of the Lord. The Lord is not only talking to individuals, but to churches at large. And towards the coming of the Lord, there is going to be a separation between the foolish and the wise. Our bishop's been prophesying that God is saving the religious. You know what's going on? They're figuring it out. Their lamps aren't working. Where's the oil at? Where's the oil at? They're figuring it out. It's in the oneness Pentecostal holiness church. The fire is here. The light is here. It's Sunday. It's easy to live for God. But some of us tomorrow, we go to work and we go to school. You step right into darkness. It's like everything the book in this church is for, where you're at, it's against. And the Lord is saying to you, will you take my light into that dark world? Will you let them see it? Will you let them behold it? And will it be so bright that I can see it and it can be a place I walk into? God wants to renew your oil today. Renew your anointing today. Not only for this week, but this entire holiday season and going into 2024 strong. There are churches falling by the wayside. They're closing up their doors. You know why? Because they've acted in foolishness. They left truth. They bought into the lies of tradition. And they're wondering, is there a real church? Is there a real Jesus? And if you're in that place, look no further than right here at TLC. You've got a real God. You've got a real church full of real people. And we really want to love you and see you become a part of our family. God is calling out to his people. Will you be wise in this day and time? Will you be ready to shine your light whenever the darkness is there? This altar call is right now for anybody that wants a new and fresh anointing on your life. You want to be sure you're ready for the coming of the Lord. Your family is ready. Some of you, you know, I've been forgetful. I've been forgetting to pray. I've been forgetting about God. I've been forgetting about this or that. I've been distracted. Oh, the Lord's coming to help you be productive for him. To never let anything fall through the cracks. But God is going to give you reminders. Hallelujah. He's alerting your spirit right now. The Lord has put out notifications right now. Get to the altar. Start praying again. Get the sin out of your life. Tell somebody about me. Be alive for me. Hallelujah, because you got to have it for yourself. You can't get somebody else's oil. you got to have your own oil. It's got to come directly from heaven. Oh, I just feel a new anointing, but it feels like old-time Pentecost here in this room right now. Hallelujah, if you can talk in tongues, talk them. If you can't, pray for it until you do. Hallelujah, the Holy Ghost is moving today. It's another full altar call. It's another prayer time. Hallelujah. Come on, get a hold of God, church. Get a hold of God, church.
Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at the Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.